Welcome to the Treble Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Thompson, audiologist and founder of Treble Health. This podcast is supported by treblehealth.com, the nation's leading telehealth service for tinnitus and hearing loss treatment. Thank you for being here on our podcast and make sure to subscribe to get our newest episodes sent straight to you. Let's get ahead with today's episode. So online, lots of information and lots of misinformation, right? And how do you know which is which? And how do you know how to navigate all of the overwhelming amount of information that's online when you type in tinnitus or you type in sound sensitivity? So there's many different treatment options, which is which is a positive, um, but it can become very overwhelming very quickly, especially if you're in that acute phase where tinnitus has just started and you're feeling you know, overwhelmed by all of it. So just listing a few here, tinnitus retraining therapy, Dr. Jastaboff, I know is going to be talking later, which is fantastic. Progressive tinnitus management was uh, developed by the VA, over-the-counter supplements, acupuncture, cognitive behavioral therapy, which has been mentioned uh, several times as well, prescription medications, and then a whole host of a bunch of other things that could be an entire uh, 20 page slide on all the different things that you'll find um, online. So what actually works right now? We created our, our treatment program I think it's important to have a, a framework. And even um, in my previous clinic before I joined Trouble Health, it, it is helpful for both, I think, the provider and the patient. So it provides sort of a comprehensive and insightful framework to for patients with tinnitus or sound sensitivity to identify which areas should be a focus of the treatment plan or the therapy plan and which areas, you know, we, we don't need to sort of prioritize or make a primary focus um, at the start of treatment. So I think this framework helps to make the treatment implementation more streamlined. It helps to make it more strategic in navigating and driving that steady progress towards habituation, which is the ultimate goal, um, getting patients back, you know, back to their lives. So by breaking it down into these smaller areas, it becomes less overwhelming for the patient themselves. It feels like more manageable. You know, you can break it down into these smaller steps, build upon that foundation, layer, layer these skills and these tools on based on the different areas of focus. So the four um, pillars sound is obviously one of them, sleep, stress reduction, and then somatosensory. This is a short interruption from today's video to announce the tinnitus quiz. If you're watching this video, there's a good chance that you or someone you know has tinnitus. We know how much tinnitus can impact your daily life, and we're here to help. Visit tinnitusquiz.com and take a two-minute quiz to receive personalized treatment plans that have helped hundreds of people learn to manage their tinnitus. Start now at tinnitusquiz.com. So the first one and the one that's going to be the most um, obvious is sound. But when I say sound as a, as a primary pillar for tinnitus treatment, we're talking about more than just the tinnitus itself. So obviously the tinnitus, when I work with a patient, you know, the specific characteristics, like I said, it's like our fingerprint, you know, the, the tinnitus, the pitch, the loudness, the quality, the characteristics, are there multiple sounds? Does it change in locality of where pe- people are hearing it or, or feeling it even sometimes, right? So getting the, the details on that helps to sort of give us insight because we can't hear what you hear. So the more detail we have on that, I think that helps in creating sort of that customized sound therapy program. And sound therapy itself is very different. You know, this term is thrown around a lot and sound therapy is not just throwing sound on in the background and good luck, right? A sound therapy program has a protocol. It has guidelines. It has parameters. It has, you know, what 
specific customized sound or combination of sounds might work for someone. Um, some people love white noise. Some people do not love white noise. So how do you create and customize the particular type of sound that a patient is going to find relaxing and soothing and actually helps with giving them some relief from their tinnitus? You know, how many hours a day? Um, what do you do when you're turning your sound therapy off? How, what additional type of sound therapy can you have in terms of acoustic enrichment or sound enrichment to help supplement the customized sound therapy. There's a lot that goes into it. And I think that that's often misrepresented a little bit in terms of when you read about, you know, what sound therapy actually is. Then in addition to the tinnitus sound therapy <clears throat> itself, we're also talking about sound sensitivity. So you'll see the terms sort of decreased sound tolerance. You'll see hyperacusis. You'll see misophonia, which has to do with the dislike um, or sensitivity to more specific sounds. Research shows that 30 to 50% of individuals who report bothersome tinnitus also report sound sensitivity issues. Now, if a patient um, uh, reports that hypersensitivity or hyperacusis is the primary issue, the sound therapy protocol and program is very different than um, someone whose primary issue is tinnitus. And typically we want to address the sound sensitivity first because we want to really sort of strengthen the auditory's, auditory system's ability to tolerate normal levels of sound in order to then focus on the tinnitus retraining piece of it. So a very important information to kind of gather in those initial couple of sessions with a patient to be able to, again, sort of frame out what areas you're going to focus on and in which order you're going to do it. There's a, there's a strategy uh, behind it. Additionally, we're talking about fear of sound, which is also known as, or referred to as phonophobia. So a lot of people that we work with, there's this underlying sort of um, concern or worry about, you know, as you're getting better, like going back into the world, right? What's, what's safe? What's a safe level of sound? What's, what's potentially damaging? I don't want to do anything that's going to make my tinnitus or sound sensitivity worse. How do I know if I should be wearing my earplugs? How do I know if I'm overusing my earplugs? All of those questions create a feeling of uncertainty and increase anxiety. And so breaking that down giving, you know, sort of the answers, giving the education, empowering patients to feel like they have the knowledge base and the understanding and the tools to feel like they have a sense of control re regarding kind of sound exposure, noise exposure, you know, being uh, in different acoustic environments. It's all part of that first pillar of sound. The second pillar is sleep, um, which we know is a huge contributing factor to the exacerbation of tinnitus and sound sensitivity. About 50, research shows about 54% of patients with tinnitus also report sleep issues or insomnia. Not all, but a majority um, uh, or more than half um, of the population of tinnitus patients report some sleep issues. Now, some people had a history of, of sleep issues or insomnia prior to the onset of tinnitus. And some patients will say that, that those sleep issues didn't start until after or post tinnitus onset. Regardless, you have to address that first sleep. I think Dr. DeRitter talked about it. I think a couple of presenters talked about it yesterday. It is essential and fundamental to be able to function as a human being and certainly to be able to navigate and manage tinnitus and to be able to use these techniques that we talk about with patients in a way that's going to be beneficial. If you're not getting sleep, everything else is, is more challenging to deal with. We know that lack of sleep is tied with increasing anxiety. It makes you more irritable and more frustrated. So if sleep is reported, um, as we're framing out uh, working with a patient, it's a primary focus area for us to work on. So we're talking about sleep hygiene and reviewing their sleep routine. You know, what things are they doing leading up to bed? What are they doing if they wake up in the middle of the night? What are we doing in the morning time when they first wake up relative to their sleep, relative to their tinnitus? <clears throat> so going over tools and techniques 
to improve sleep. We're talking about sound therapy options for sleep. Um, you'll see uh, the sleep headband. I don't know if anybody's using something like that or a sound pillow. There's lots of different options for sound therapy for nighttime, um, sleep apps that, that sort of do guided meditation or sleep stories to help with kind of calming that system down, nervous system down prior to going to sleep to help facilitate falling asleep and staying asleep. We're talking about evaluating and ruling out underlying medical issues that might be related to those sleep issues. So if there's sleep apnea or some other um, physiological underlying cause that may be a factor in poor sleep, we want to make sure that that's addressed too, because that is contributing to not getting enough sleep to help with that tinnitus management. And then for those who really have severe sleep issues, sort of um, what would be really diagnosed as insomnia, there is a um, program uh, CBTI, so cognitive behavioral therapy specifically designed for insomnia. There are web-based programs, there are self-guided programs, and then certainly you can work in person or via telehealth with someone who specializes in this area. And we will make referrals for that if, if that seems to be um, sleep is a significant issue that's affecting the patient's overall comprehensive plan. The third, and I think, again, significant contributing factor to being able to manage through the stages of tinnitus habituation, um, the third pillar is stress reduction. So I talk a lot with my patients in the beginning about um, the concept of the window of tolerance. Um, I'm not sure um, some of you have probably uh, heard this um, or are familiar with this if you have a background in psychology. But the idea is that, you know, we all kind of function in this, in this general window. We all have this optimal window where we feel self-regulated, we feel grounded, we feel calm, our nervous system is feeling at peace. And there is fluctuations within that window of tolerance, not that there's not sort of these stressors, but we're able to kind of get ourselves, you know, grounded again to stay within that optimal window. Now, when there's significant stress um, or significant traumatic event, our nervous system is thrown completely out of whack, right? It goes haywire. And we go way out of that window of tolerance. We either go to a state of hyperarousal, which is that fight or flight phase, which is characterized by anxiety, panic attacks, sort of feeling overwhelmed. You know, our, our nervous system is hyperactive, right? Or we go into hypoarousal, which is the freeze response, where we feel kind of shut down. We feel depressed. We feel exhausted. And this, you know, one of these two states, either hyperarousal or hypoarousal, are really common in the acute onset phase with tinnitus or sound sensitivity. Our system is thrown out of whack. It's totally out overwhelmed. So a lot of the things that we work with patients on, particularly related to this pillar, is how do we get ourselves back into that optimal window? And if we can get ourselves back into this optimal window, we know that that will help with supplementing tinnitus habituation. Another big part of stress reduction is to address how our thoughts and our feelings affect um, our behaviors and actions related to the tinnitus. So CBT, by now you guys are all experts in CBT. By definition, it's the type of treatment that helps people learn how to identify and change the destructive or disturbing thought patterns that have a negative influence on our behavior and our emotions. Um, the goal of CBT is to be able to learn how to identify those automatic negative thoughts. I mean, they pop into our head before we even realize we, we're having them, right? It's, it's something that's automatic. <clears throat> and then through practice, which it takes a lot of practice and work, to be able to build like skill and capacity around being able to identify those thoughts, you know, sort of challenge those thoughts 
And to be able to replace them or reframe them, you'll hear, you'll hear the term or see the term cognitive restructuring a lot related to CBT, to be able to, to change to more objective, realistic, neutral thoughts related to the tinnitus. So if we can break this cycle that happens related to the tinnitus, then we also know that our overall stress level is going to go down. That helps us get us back into that optimal window of tolerance. And then this negative cycle, you know, this negative feedback loop that we talk about a lot with our patients, you know, you hear the tinnitus, there's this fear response that happens, the feeling or the thoughts or emotions, you know, feeling anxious or worried or angry, um, frustrated manifests in mental or emotional and physiological stress uh, reactions, which make us only more aware of the tinnitus and more bothered. And then that cycle goes round and round and round. So in addition to CBT, it's also really important to, under this pillar, to talk about and come up with the different stress stress management or stress reduction techniques that are going to work for each individual person. So I've listed a few, you know, progressive muscle relaxation, guided breathing, um, going for a walk outdoors, you know, spending quality time with friends and family. And this is really individual to each person. Spending quality time with friends and family might be the best thing for one person and for another person that might cause a significant amount of stress. So it's really about actually identifying, you know, which five things, which five stress management reduction techniques actually are going to work for you. You know, we, and we recommend, you know, having it written out, having a visible list, like post it on your fridge, post it on your um, bathroom mirror, have it readily available and visible. So when you're starting to feel stressed and overwhelmed, instead of going into that freeze or fight or flight mode, it's like, all right, I have these five things. I'm going to pick one of these things and do them now. And it's about not only that, but becoming aware through training and education and working one-on-one with um, our our providers um, or with any specialist um, in this area on kind of being strategic and proactive about becoming aware of this build of stress and anxiety prior to you getting to that overwhelm point. So instead of being reactive with these things, when you're already, your system's already out of whack, you're already feeling completely um, overwhelmed by everything to be able to sort of start to identify the signs when that stress is starting to build up and be super proactive about implementing those strategies consistently on a daily basis um, as part of your comprehensive treatment plan. We know that if we can sort of dial it back and identify, okay, I'm starting to feel, you know, my, my breath rate's feeling shallow. Um, my thoughts are starting to spin. All of these things, um, there's, there's signs, right? And it's about becoming aware of those things and implementing the techniques that are going to work to bring that nervous system back down to feeling regulated prior to things getting out of control. And then the fourth pillar um, is somatosensory. So this is the one that, you know, I'm sure doctors, if you go to see a primary care or ENT for the most part, and, and you mentioned, you know, tinnitus, I'm, I doubt that this is even brought up as a question, but somatosensory or somatic component to a tin, to your tinnitus is a subtype of tinnitus that is associated with activation of the somatosensory somatomotor and visual motor systems. So a key characteristic of this um, subtype of tinnitus is that it's modulated. You can modulate it by physical contact or movement. And apologies, this um, graphic is a little bit fuzzy, but you'll see the percentage of um, tinnitus modulation by somatic region. So the, the majority of patients who we work with who have a somatic component, it's related to the temporomandibular joint or the jaw uh, muscles. 
and the head and neck. So upper cervical spine. Although I've had patients that I've worked with over, over the years who are able to modulate their tinnitus with um, eye movement or eye gaze um, or actual movement of their um, arms or legs. So there's lots of different um, body networks that are involved in the somatosensory component. And it's, it plays a big part in overall um, treatment plan. So if that is something that somebody has, it has to be addressed too. Research shows that 35 to 40% of tinnitus patients report a somatic component to their tinnitus. The treatment recommendations and referral to specialists depends, you know, on the anatomic location of the somatic input. So if it's, if it's jaw related, you know, we're referring to a dentist or a TMJ specialist. If it's upper cervical spine, um, potentially referral to PT or a physical therapist who specializes or focuses on that area to be able to help with realignment or um, reduce tension, whatever the issue is that's contributing to um, that tinnitus signal. And again, just as like a general statement, you know, everything's connected. So if we're feeling super stressed and tense, anything we can do as part of that stress reduction strategy or pillar to kind of keep the entire system relaxed as possible is going to help with any somatic component as well. And then just to show you, this is a very scaled down, simplified version of the central auditory pathways, but essentially we, there is, and there's um, studies, research studies that show and can verify that, you know, we have our peripheral auditory system. So our um, outer middle and inner ear, and then all these nuclei along the central auditory pathway up to the auditory cortex or the auditory part of our, uh, of the brain. And then there's also this other network called the somatosensory network that feeds certain neural neural firings or neural activity from this particular system feed into a specific nuclei in the auditory central auditory pathway. So for those who have somatic tinnitus, there's this extra neural firing when there's already hyperactivity in the auditory uh, pathway, the somatic piece, there's extra neural firing that feeds into this particular part of the auditory pathway, which then exacerbates that tinnitus. So we know that for those who have a somatosensory component, addressing that will likely help to reduce just the overall intensity of the tinnitus. It might, it's not a typically a cure-all, but it's part of the treatment plan. And again, framing it out and understanding which areas to focus on for those who have a somatosensory component, it's a, it's a primary area of focus. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. This is your host, Dr. Ben Thompson. If you have two minutes, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a five-star review on the Apple podcast platform for the Treble Health podcast. Thank you for your time. And if you need any services for tinnitus or hearing aids, please head over to treblehealth.com and our team of expert audiologists will be able to help you via telehealth. Have a great one and see you soon.